Is having stuff or being wealthy bad? What does materialism say about our relationship with God? And how can we combat the need to want more? Chris sits down with special guest Ken Corver, and they discuss these questions and more on this episode of Your Church Friends. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends podcast. I am Chris, and today I am joined with Ken Corver from Emmanuel Church. And it is an honor for me to sit here with you and, and do this podcast. So just introduce yourself to the audience, and then we'll get rolling with the questions. Yeah, my name's Ken Corver, and uh, I'm married to Lisa. And we've got three children and now two in-laws and three grandkids. Just got a new grandbaby two days ago. And uh, I pastor at Emmanuel Reformed Church in Paramount. I've been there most of my life. Awesome. And congratulations on the grandbaby. Thank you. We're excited. Yeah, that, that's yeah. really cool. So let's get into this. We're going to talk about materialism. Okay. And, uh, you know, we're, it's just stemming from the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talks about our worries and our treasures in heaven. And I kind of seen both of those connecting that if our treasure isn't in the right place, we worry a lot. So yeah. I'm going to roll in with the first question, which I thought was kind of a good one. Is having stuff or being wealthy bad? So I wouldn't turn and call having stuff being wealthy bad. Uh, but I would then turn and say this, stuff for what purpose? Like, is this stuff that I'm using for the glory of God? It's stuff that I use to serve others. It's stuff that I use to be a blessing. If that's what it is, then it could be good stuff. And if it's a whole bunch of stuff just for me, I, I might be missing the mark. I like in the Sermon on the Mount where it talks about having not storing up things on earth, but storing up in heaven. And it seems to be, Martin Luther said, what we give away, we have. What you keep, you will lose. But what you give away, you have. But so, uh, and being wealthy, it's like, what do you do with your wealth? So in the Bible, Lydia was wealthy, and she probably was the main funder of Paul's mission. And Mary Magdalene, I was in Israel uh, two years ago and got to see where Mary of Magdala lived. Mary Magdalene probably was wealthy, and she and a number of women were the sponsors. They were the financial people, according to Luke, helping Jesus do his ministry. So wealth can be used for wonderful things, and wealth can uh, yank you away from the kingdom. The rich young man that didn't want to follow Jesus because he couldn't leave his possessions behind. So is having stuff or wealth bad? Uh, it's not necessarily bad, uh, but we want to use it for the kingdom, and we don't want to turn it into uh, an idolatry. Quick other thing, First Timothy, Paul turns and says, command those who are rich in this world to be generous. So in the world, you can just get bigger and bigger and bigger for yourself, but a Christian is going to be commanded in the scriptures, like, use that for the kingdom, use that for others. That's a really good point. I, I do like the, for the perp, what purpose? Because I think that's where we get lost at a lot is intentions always start good. Mm -hmm. I, I believe if you're headed down the right path, but then the distraction of it, the the amount that comes in and when it comes in, then it kind of becomes that idol. And I, I like that mm -hmm. you tied it into idolatry Yeah, because it becomes that idol. And then it's the thing I pursue. And instead of pursuing God mm -hmm. and my purpose being about his kingdom, because that's what the Sermon on the Mount is, right? Teaching us about God's kingdom. Yes. Then my purpose becomes that. So let's go on to question number two then, which is a, kind of a tie into question number one, I think, is why is there such a big struggle with wanting more than in our life? Yeah. So it's kind of, isn't it funny? The very first thing that happens in the Bible with the humans is Adam and Eve are given God and the garden and they have access to everything. God, they have God and they have access to everything, but, but leave that one thing alone. Leave that one tree, what's there, leave that thing alone and they can't do it. They, they have to go for that. 
I have a nephew who's a wonderful young man now, and he's always been a good kid. But I, I went to their house one time. Uh, they, they live in the Midwest. And when I went to visit, he had access to all the rooms in the house, you know, 11, 10, 11 room house, upstairs, downstairs. And when I came, his mother said, but you need to stay out of the room that Uncle Ken's going to be in. You stay out of that room. <laughs> and as soon as he heard that, when I showed up, he and his friend went and they ran and they stood in front of that door and were just looking in. He had access to that room all the time and didn't care, but now he's being told, leave that one alone. So somehow there's something innately in us that wants more. And and if you, you've had, you have children, Chris, right? How many kids you got? Two. You watch them when they're little. How old are your children? My daughter is eight and my son's going to be turning five. Okay. So when your daughter was a five-year-old and your son was a two-year-old, they can squabble over the same silly toy that really is worth almost nothing. But so somehow there's something in us. I think it's tied. Somehow we are idol worshipers. Somehow we think that things are going to satisfy us and give us life. So it seems to be kind of a an, an innate thing to our flesh to want more. And maybe we're trying to find life apart from God. At this point, eight and five, they still squabble over the little things. Yeah. And and it is a good point because it is it does seem like it's a natural thing inside of us that don't touch the red button, right? We've all seen the yeah. the thing, don't touch the red button. And once you say don't or you put something in front of, you put don't in front of something, it becomes the, oh, well, now I got to see what's going on in there. Yeah. And I think that's a great point for that struggle of wanting more because God's going to bless us with that. And yeah. that's what the calling was, is that I will give to you. But inside of ourselves, there's this desire to want to go after things that God's going to bless us with yeah. and what he would provide for us. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it kind of in the Sermon on the Mount, it leads you to the Matthew six thirty three, and uh, the pagans of this world they run after what will I eat, what will I drink, what will I wear? I need to have some more things to wear. What else would I wear? And Jesus says, you know, he turns in the sermon as you know very well. He says, you know, don't worry about what you're going to wear. The, the birds they get their food. The lilies they get clothed beautifully. And so the Lord actually knows that birds and lilies need certain things. And in the famous verses, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All the other things, I'll give that. You need food. You need clothes. There's things you need. But don't seek those things. Seek the kingdom and his righteousness. And I'll add what you need. But you don't need more and more and more and more. You actually don't need that. You need me. And, And then there's something about, we even look at Jesus' lifestyle and we look at Paul's lifestyle. Jesus being rich became poor for our sake. So there's something in that. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. I think we're being called to not be grabbed by the thing that is grabbing the world and to become ones who receive to give. Uh, I'll go into question number three. What does materialism say about our relationship with God? I think it might say that we really are not mostly in love with God. Sometimes God might be on the side. He might be the insurance policy on the side. Or God might be Santa Claus. And if I'm good, Santa will give me things. So I think that materialism is, can be a statement that God's not the gift. Maybe God gives me access to what I think are the gifts over here. There, there's something wrong when we're, when we're getting things to have things. There's something out of whack. We need clothes. We need shelter. And, or to have things that we can share with others, bless others. But to accumulate more and more for me, at the very least, I might be missing the main point. I like that you said that it doesn't say that, or it says that we don't love God completely or fully or even love God. I never really thought of it that way. But I think because we misunderstand the term and the word love so much here, and especially in America, in our world, that like we say, I love chocolate, but 
it's not something I desire, yeah. you know, or I chase after, but to really love God means that I love him more than anything. Yeah. And that that's the number one relationship in my life. And if I love him more than all this other stuff, then it goes into everything we've been talking about so far. I pursue him. I chase after him. I don't worry about what's lacking or what's not lacking because I know he'll provide or he'll sustain. Yeah. I really do like that point. I feel like that's almost a hard truth, but you said it so nicely. Oh, I find as a pastor, it, I very seldom help anybody when I'm yelling at them. And also, I always need to be talking to myself as well, mm. right? So sermons need to start with, God, would you speak to me? Would you talk to me? And then how can I share what I'm learning, hopefully helpfully with others? So I keep going back to a person doesn't have to feel, look, we are where we are. Now where you are, how do I go live going forward? And what's interesting the Bible speaks of rewards. And so we Christians really celebrate we are saved by grace through faith alone. We're saved by Jesus and what Jesus did and, and not, not my works, right? So we Protestants share that and I believe that 100%. But if you read the whole New Testament, Jesus and Paul will speak of rewards. And so somehow, if you're grabbing and grasping things here on earth, Okay, then you have a treasure here, and it's gonna it's gonna rust, and and moths are gonna get to it, and thieves are gonna try to steal it. But what you put into the kingdom, what you give away, what you give for the kingdom, somehow Jesus calls that treasure in heaven. If you give a cup of cold water, you will receive your reward. I was hungry, and you gave me food. Well, that cost you something. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. Might have cost you something. I was naked, and you clothed me. Well, that probably cost you something. When did we do this, Lord? When you did it for the least of these? Come into my kingdom. Come, come into your inheritance. So somehow Christians are saved by what Jesus has done, but those who are saved by what Jesus has done, they begin to become like Jesus, and then we become givers. So I wonder if God is wanting us to be like Jesus, and, and obviously we are steeped in sin, but he forgives, and he begins sanctifying. He gives us a Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount is, I want this to become you, Chris. I want this to become you, Ken. Well, that's a journey. And by the way, we get to ask for it. We get to, Lord, would you, would you help me to, to be a giver? Would you help me be pure in heart? Would you help me to give my cloak to that person? I like that you brought up the idea of the cost because it just instantly I started, when you said cost, I thought of Jesus saying that there is a cost, right? When we pick up our cross, there's a cost. And if, it's, if it doesn't cost you anything, I guess my thought with it was, then is it for God's glory, right? Because every time we do something, it does cost us something when we're, when we're doing something for God. If I'm serving in a ministry, it's going to cost me my time, my energy, time away from my family. If I'm helping someone out, like you said, with, with clothes or food, that's going to cost me financially. And maybe, maybe chasing, after, chasing after materialism, we're not really looking at the cost. It's actually costing us when we go after stuff, storing it up in our treasures and here on, heaven, or on earth. Because that also cost us. I mean, people in debt, it's, it's rampant in, in America. Wow. wow. And so there is a cost. We pay for wanting stuff. So which one's going to be more valuable at the end of the day, I guess, is the real thought we should think about. Two, two things hit me while you're talking. One is Jesus' famous line of, it's more blessed to give than receive. And so as I hoard more and more for me, does it bring satisfaction? Or yeah. do I need more garbage and I'm still not fully satisfied? And the joy of giving. Like I know of one family that was for Christmas, what they do is they, they don't just sit there and you know how you get to get the, the two or seven presents in front of you that the family members are giving you. There's a family that I know of that they, 
everybody starts out with the presence they're going to give sitting next to them. Oh, that's smart. And then they go walk it across the room. And the, and the joy is watching yourself bring the gift. So Jesus, that is more blessed to give than receive. And then the other thing uh, that I just think is, is it's just watching. It's like, who are the happy people? Who, who has joy? And I think the, the joyous people are the givers and about others. And I don't think the joyful people are the ones that are always needing to have more and competing with others to show them I have stuff. Oh, and the last thing I was just going to say is, Dave Ramsey's very famous, right? But he's famous in America because we are, we are a, I got to have the stuff and I have to have it now. And I'm drowning in debt and don't know how to get out of it. And I'm on this hamster cycle, you know? gerbil cycle or something so yeah and we're just the people just constantly run and I, that's a great great example of chasing after materialism mm-hmm. it's a it's a running on the cycle that goes nowhere yeah uh, the, another thing I, I wrote down that i really like that you brought up is jesus being our insurance policy and and especially about what it says about our relationship with god that i think if jesus is our insurance policy if if he is just kind of that fallback plan then you're never going to see the fulfillment of that relationship yeah and when you never see that fulfillment of that relationship then that relationship isn't worth it to you to pursue completely yeah what i wonder if what we're supposed to walk in is an ongoing dialogue with the lord uh, the kingdom of God is within you. Christ promised when he rose again, I'll be with you always. So an ongoing dialogue with the Lord of, Lord, how am I to use my time today? How am I to use the, the money that you have helped me earn? How do I use that? And let the Lord show you. And it's okay to get an ice cream cone. And it's, it's okay to have a vehicle. Uh, it's wonderful if you have a home. It's good to have clothes. But then it's asking, do I need the 900th shirt? Do I need the 47th <laughs> pairs of tennis shoes? You know, when do I have enough? I thought of Enoch when you talked about walking with God. Yeah. And almost that relationship that was so close that, that he walked and just kept walking with God. And, and that is a great point, that if uh-huh. we're walking with God, then we're checking in with God. I've always thought of it more, too, like like David, if I don't, God, if you're not with me, I'm not going into battle. Yeah. And I, I put that more into, like, moving places in life or God, you want me to take this job or go this direction with my life. But I actually never thought of it like how you just said it too with my finances. God, is it okay or should I spend my money? Because then it is putting the ownership of that finances back to him since he's the giver of it yeah, and removing the idea that that's my finances. I, I really like what you're saying, Chris, because I think that there's a real tendency in America that I'm a Christian, but it's Jesus on the side. Yep. He's a piece of my life. And and Jesus says, you want to come follow me? Then Chris can deny yourself. Pick up your cross. What does that mean? When you pick up your cross, you die. Mm-hmm. A cross kills you. And you follow me. So now following Jesus is Chris and Ken, and we no longer are listening to ourselves. Deny yourself. We're no longer alive to ourself. I'm dead. I'm following Jesus. And then Jesus has a great line. Peter one time says, Lord, we, le- we left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, I'll give you a hundred times more in this life and the world to come. What does that mean? And I'll tell you what I think that means. In our church, I don't own a boat, but I belong to the family of God. So if I want to go out in a boat about once a year, I got a friend who will let me ride in a boat with him. And I don't own a place in Palm Desert. I don't own it. I got a friend who does, and he says, if I ever want to go out there, so once a year my wife and I go for two, three days. I don't own a horse. But a person in the church owns a horse, so if I want to go ride a horse. And so Jesus, I, I, I'm going to give you the kingdom. The kingdom are all these people. We share. And so I, and this, so now, you know what? I got a boat. I got a horse. 
I got a place in Palm Desert. Do I have those? Well, no. But people who I love do, and they'll let me use that. And then Jesus says, and I will give you a hundred times more in the world to come. I don't even understand all of the Bible. I don't even understand anything I'm saying to you. What I, what I do get is, oh, in the church, we, we give our money to the local church. We give more than our money to the local church. We give to this cause and that cause. And that's a part of being a part of the kingdom. And, and then what I'd say is, and I don't lack. You're looking right now, I've got clothes on. I've got shoes on. I ate today. I'll probably, I'm going to eat tonight. I've got a roof <laughs> over my head. I'm not lacking anything. What, oh my, by the way, a quick side note. My father gave a baseline thing that was so helpful. It's called 10-10-80. And so I'm 60. My dad's a 90-year-old preacher at our church, right? He's 90. And my dad gave us to us 30 years ago in a church. He goes, 10-10-80. Without even blinking, and now you get a, your check. It's $100. $10 automatically. Have that go to the Lord. Just boom, automatic, 10 to the Lord. And put $10 into savings or investment and live on the 80%. And then see what you can do. Can God have you give 11% to the work of the Lord or 12? Can he have you invest slash save 11, 12%? And his argument, my dad's point was, as you grow in that, you want to shrink the middle because the middle is all wasted money. Mm. The, the money you give and the money you save slash invest. So at the end of the year, here's actually what I look at in my own life. I actually, at the end of the year, look at what did we give to the church and, and to Christian work beyond that. I stare at that. And the other one is, what did my wife and I put away for saving slash investment for retirement? Those two things are real. The money in between, a chunk of that we blew. How do I give more and save more? Does that make sense? Yeah. I went back and watched your video online on YouTube on that message, and I actually heard you say that. And when I, I, I watched it before, I fell asleep. So don't be mad that I actually <laughs> fell asleep. It was late also. That's so funny. <laughs> it was like two in the morning. Uh, I'm a night owl. So it, it helped me fall asleep, but I did hear you say that, that 10, 10, 80, and I'm glad you brought it up because it was something I want to talk to my wife about, and she's uh, amazing with our finances. The, the moment we got married, I was like, you're in charge of the finances because you're responsible. You I'm go. clearly not. Look at what I've done but, with my By the own. way, I, something I think you do in a house is that uh, my opinion, thought biblically is uh, husbands are to bring leadership, but leadership doesn't mean you're smarter, and right. leadership doesn't mean you're the boss. And every area that your spouse is sharper than you are is like, let them be the one that runs with it. My wife runs ours because she's better at the details. Mm -hmm. And and then, uh, so anyway, it's like, good for you and praise God for your wife. So you guys talked about that. I think that's a gift to give to others as well. It, I, my talk today to our executive administrator, he said that he heard something that 70% of Americans could not write a $400 check today. Oh, wow. 70% of Americans beyond they're just scrambling by their life. And it's that whole point of, uh, we're the richest country in the world. And yet we're so staggered in debt that we're having a hard time just doing normal things. So anyway, 10, 10, 80. And then by the way, then it becomes a lifestyle. Uh, so funny, our church used to be Dutch. Now we have Dutch people in our church. Now we're a multiracial, multi-ethnic church. Dutch people get teased for being cheap. And then I would call them frugal. My, I'm Dutch. Mm -hmm. But can I tell you something about the Dutch people? They're also very generous. Yeah. And in our church. And so they count their pennies. But if you count your pennies, you have a lot to give. And if you're not, you're not paying attention, you're an American, you're just blowing your money left and right versus having a game plan. I, I want to say this again. A lot of people in our church have been helped by Dave Ramsey's FPU, Financial Peace University. Yes, yes. And uh, so that's just my, it's another thought to throw at people. And he teaches you, get out of debt, stay out of debt, and give and save.
Yeah, we actually, uh, when we covered it, talked about that. And a lot of people here at our church, they go through the financial piece also. That's excellent. But my wife has been my financial piece, so we're, <laughs> we're good. What's your wife's name? Justine. Justine, God bless you. Yeah, Way to go. I think you may have met her uh, when we were with my dad helping. She may have came with me a few times when good. we were doing the Paramount stuff. You bet. But uh, yeah, she she's she's a wonderful woman and smarter than me, so I Amen. let her. There you go. I let her run run the show. Run Justine. Uh, but okay, we're gonna get into the next question. What does the Christian whose lifestyle is based on pursuing more tell the non-Christian? But before you answer that question, let me tell you about our website, yourchurchfriends.rocks. It's your one-stop shop for all things your church friends. With a link to our YouTube channel where you can subscribe, like the videos, and share them with your friends. Also, you can find past episodes of the podcast and get all caught up with your church friends. One last thing, if you can do me a favor, please leave us a five-star rating and subscribe to our podcast on whatever podcasting platform you listen on. That will greatly help. Remember, the website is yourchurchfriends.rocks because we rock. Now let's get back to the question about materialism and what pursuing more tells the non-Christian. I think what we want to show non-Christians is that they, without knowing it, would begin meeting the presence of Christ in us. And so what was Christ-like? And in Philippians 2, it says that he left eternal riches, eternal quality with the Father, and emptied himself. He became the servant. Then on earth, he's the servant. So if, if I, I think I'm sending a mixed message. If, if somebody meets me and they notice the main thing of my life is pursuing wealth and pursuing things, that's a confusing message. I think they should start meeting in me. This person seems to be functioning different, and they're so kind to us in our neighborhood, and they're so giving in our neighborhood. They do have a house to live in. So I think we're sending a confusing message because we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We do need housing, clothing, we need that, but that's not the focus. Somehow we're confusing people if we're making pursuing the more our focus. Um, I, I shared this earlier, but if you, I think it's Luke 9, but somewhere in Luke, there's a story of Mary Magdalene and the women supporting Jesus. Mary probably had wealth and Lydia had wealth, but they used it for the kingdom. So I think if people should see that uh, we're generous and our generosity goes toward the good of the kingdom, the good of other people. And when we don't do that, and I'm pursuing things, you can't pursue things if you're a Christian or you're doing, or we're missing a major point. Uh, as a disciple, I should not be pursuing things, but I can. Now, with that, there's a place to do well. The Bible turns and says that I should, that I should take care of my own family's needs. The, the Bible says that a, a good man in Proverbs leaves an inheritance for their children's children. So there's a place to be very responsible, setting up my family while being generous. I guess I just close with this. When you think of Jesus and you think of Paul, you don't think of a mansion here and all the biggest and best here. You think of them spilling their lives as servants for others and we're to become like Jesus. And Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Does that make any sense? Yeah, completely. I think what we do, I like the mixed signal thing because it is such a mixed signal that, and it's probably why Christians, especially I would say in American or Western culture, Christians and Christianity, why, why there's this view of hypocrisy, why non-Christians view us the way we do, because if we do come forward with, well, here's my stuff or look at me and how I'm dressed and it's fancy or what I drive, then it's their eyes, like you said, it's put on that first. 
before we could even come in and present Christ to them. And, and again, with Jesus and Paul being those examples of their first presentation was God. Mm-hmm. It wasn't themselves. It wasn't what they had or what they were doing. And, and even with Jesus, it wasn't about the miracles. If When I read the New Testament and the Gospels, I hear Jesus, and then he preached, and he preached, and he teached. And so what that told me was he came here to teach. And so he's coming to teach. I've got to listen. And listen to what he says. And when he says stuff like, die to yourself, deny yourself, reflect me. The salt and the light on on the Sermon on the Mount is us and our influence. And if we're a light, well, maybe our materialism is covering that light. What's interesting with what you're sharing in my mind, out of the Sermon on the Mount, so a a city on a hill can't be hidden. You're the light of the world. City of the hill can't be hidden. So let your light so shine that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Not that they may see your big house, right? your fancy clothes. Your shoes are better than anyone. They might see that. That's prosperity gospel. It's not from the Bible. They might see your good deeds. And then their good, the good deeds wouldn't even make them turn and say, you're, they would glorify your Father. Chris, how did, you get, how did that happen, that you became like that? So again, I want to say this. Uh, number one, I'm an American, so I'm rich. If you're an American, you, you're way richer than, we are way richer than we know. So we're all in this together. But there's, a, there's the joy in following Christ and not being a materialist. I'm to be a Christ follower and things, there's a place for things in the kingdom, but not living for them. The next question that we get into is, how can I combat the need to want more? And I put an emphasis on that word need because I do think that's, the real mentality that some people have is that it is a need. Uh, before you answer the question, I'll just share like an example. Yeah. When I was writing the question, I was actually watching Lord of the Rings. Schmeagel, his need for the ring, even though it wasn't something that satisfied him, he thought he needed that. And, you know, he called it even his, his precious. What's interesting when you said, I, I watched that show once and I was captured by how ugly he, he had become. And he became ugly in the pursuit of precious and precious wasn't making him himself. He wasn't, he wasn't becoming who he's to be. So how do we combat the need for more? It's kind of like, well, how do you combat if you're addicted to coffee, you're addic- whatever we're addicted to? There's a place for many things, but we can be addicted to them. And then when you pull them away, you find out what is tr- you're trying to get life from. And so your word, you know, we need more. I, uh, I, I guess I need to turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, help me. Have mercy on me. Jesus also said it's more blessed to give than receive, so it's to become a giver. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So i got to get my treasure toward kingdom. I had a great line. Our church had a one time that we were expanding the building so we could have more people there, and then you need chairs for them and new Bibles for them and all that. And I was leading a singles group at the time, young singles group. And anyway, this one guy all of a sudden just came up, and he said, Pastor Ken, I want to give. And he gave a large amount of money that he wanted to give, and I was kind of thinking, how does this guy do it? I knew what his job was. And then he just quoted, he goes, Pastor Ken, wherever I put my money, that's where my heart goes. And so I, I want to put it toward the kingdom work right here because then my treasure will be in the work of the Lord. So how do you combat the need for more? I think giving is one, being more glad in Jesus. There's a guy named John Piper. You heard of him? He has a thing called Christian hedonism. Yeah. And his argument is, no, we were made for joy. We just look for it in the wrong place. And joy is in the Lord and in his kingdom. So I think we combat the need for more and more stuff by getting more and more of the Lord and the joy of the Lord. Maybe those are some things. How about you? What do you think? I I like that because uh, giving, I think, is such a hard thing for us. We were talking, as going through the Sermon on the Mount, 
we hit the idea of giving when it came treasures where your treasure is there your heart is mm -hmm. and where even the idea of like i can do certain things but my money is always so close to me mm -hmm. and so many people their their idea of why they don't come to church is because oh the church just wants my money and that's already a viewpoint going in so it's already a negative viewpoint but I like that the idea, one of the first ways to start getting ourselves to stop focusing on the materialism that's in our own life is to give to God and to give. Because it, it kind of what I was talking about earlier, that idea that if if I understand that my money isn't mine out the gate yeah. and it's God's, I have no struggle with saying, here's yours back. You bet. And here you go, because it's never mine. It's just kind of like the cycle. But giving is such a tough thing. I know I, at some point, and we had talked about it before, and I think a little bit off off air, that where I struggled with my finances growing up because I had a good friend who was older than me who told me, uh, you only live once and what are you going to do with that money anyways? And so I was like, yeah, that makes sense. So spend, spend, spend. Even to the point where tithing to God, growing up in a church, seeing my parents tithe every week, being great role models of that. I was like, well, God, I can't give you this because of my need for that. Wow. And where I had to get actually checked. And, and then when, like I said, when I got married, it was my wife handles the finances. I don't even know how much we give anymore. I just know she takes care of it and she does it right. And she instills into our children whenever they get birthday money that 10% of it goes Way to, to go. God. Your wife's doing a great job. And even gift cards. And sometimes during Christmas, she has to check me and she says, hey, Chris, where's your 10% from what you got? And I'm like, "Wow, oh, yeah, you're right. Praise God for your wife. So it, it is... It is a big thing to start, and I think that's how we combat it. It's all about the heart and the mind, and once our mind gets locked into this is God's and we change our, our mental perspective, then it starts going down into our heart perspective. And I like that was such a cool story. The guy, your money is where your heart is, so yeah. this is where my heart is. Well, I want to say something hit me as you're talking. One, I'm proud of you and your wife and the journey you're on with your kids. And then my father, again, you know how he, he's the one who said 10, 10, 80. Here's the other thing he said that really became helpful. He goes, you're not giving. He goes, or he goes, it's, it's investing. And he goes, what are you investing in? So to the young friend that said you only live once, well, he's actually wrong. We actually live eternally. And I would say to your young friend back then, I'd want to say it kindly, you're a very poor investor. Mm -hmm. You're a really poor investor because you're grabbing all kinds of things that will not go with you. Do you know what happens to you when you get older? You, you start out and you're born, you got nothing on you. Then one day you got this big house and this stuff and all these things. And then you get to be a certain age and sometimes they move you into the home. And then when you move into the home, you got a, you got a, a little drawer, a dresser, and there's your stuff. And by the end of your life, you're back to having very little. Oh, by the, so, what, what's, so it's investing in the kingdom. And here's a great line. Paul, Paul turned and what are the rewards we're going to have in heaven? Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, he talks about in First Thessalonians how the Thessalonians went from being idol worshipers, listening, worshiping the true God. Paul said, we were like fathers and mothers among you. We gave you our very lives. Paul's spilling his life into him. Paul then says this, what will be my joy and my glory and my crown in the presence of the Lord Jesus? Is it not you? Paul is saying that one day when he stands before Jesus, who will have saved Paul by what Jesus did on the cross, Paul, when he turns, the Thessalonians are going to be behind him. And Paul's crown, his crown, that he will cast down at Jesus' feet are all these people who are in the kingdom. Paul's life and Lydia's finances were toward all of these people. And in heaven, Paul will have those people saying, thank you, thank you. They will be thanking him for what he did to bring the gospel to them. 
what I invest in the kingdom, what I do for the kingdom, what I invest in the kingdom, it will, I will re, I will re-meet that in glory. I don't think, in glory, I don't think God's got, you know, I don't want to, uh, um, how do I say this the right way? I think people are the crown. If you've seen people who've been in wars together, then years later, they're so grateful to what that friend did for them 12 years ago, 27 years ago. I think we're going to meet that in glory. So I guess my closing comment say is, I, I think something we need to know, think about is we're investing in eternity when we give, and we will somehow meet it again. Investing in others, investing in, in God's kingdom, and putting all that stuff into that perspective of it has to be first, and I'm doing it for a greater good. Yeah. And it's taking my eyes off of myself yeah. and my needs, or what I think are needs. Uh, I shared a story when we were we recorded it on uh, Worry, uh, that at one point in, when we first got married, I, I became unemployed. And my wife is working her way through school. She's a waitress. And we're trying to figure it out on what we're going to do. And the one thing I told God is, God, just please keep my DVR going. Like, I, if we pay, what you know, whatever, if we're, we're out of money for this and that, I'll eat beans and rice, but I need my DVR. And, and I know it sounds dumb. And even when I said it then, it's just stupid to talk about. But watching God, as we kind of, during that time of lacking, invested more into to the kingdom, I was able to focus more and help my brother with the church at what we were doing. God completely kept us afloat during that time. And actually, the storehouse kept getting fuller. And, and we had no idea yeah. or how that was happening. You know, blessings came, blessings came. But it is the idea of taking my eyes off of myself and putting them on him and yeah. his kingdom. And the whole Sermon on the Mount to me is it's such a cultural change to the people. It's bringing kingdom culture to us so that way we can be an influence and bringing that culture to the people around them. Wow. I love what you're saying because as our church also, as we shared off air, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and I feel like I'm understanding it. I've preached it three, four times in my lifetime. I feel like I'm understanding it a bit more now, and I like what you said. This is what Jesus turns in Matthew 5, and his disciples come to him, and when they come to him, his opening word is, blessed are the poor in spirit. So are you broken? Do you know that you need celebrate recovery? Like you don't, you don't know how to do this. You don't know how to make it. That's the starting point. And then you, we become the peacemakers, the pure in heart, the merciful, those who mourn. We become those who don't call our brother fool, who don't live lustfully. We become those who turn the other cheek, who go the second mile, who are not judgmental. It's like, this is what the world needs. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is saying, I love you, Chris. I love you, Kent. I want to make you like myself. And this is what I look like. And so now, then, and then Chris and Calvary Church and Emmanuel, let your light so shine before the people that they would see your good deeds. What good deeds? Your Sermon on the Mount living. They, yeah. would, see, they would see this. And who, lives, who turns the other cheek? Who prays for their enemies? We live in a most divided time. I'm 60. You're 38. Our country has never been this divided in my lifetime. What if Christians would not be known for belonging to a certain political party as right. our main thing. I would be known for, what kingdom are you a part of? I tell people this all the time. I think that if I walk up to Chris, I should not see a capital R, capital R, huge R, or capital D on you. What's a huge capital R? Oh, you're a Republican. Oh, you're a Democrat. Like That's, that's my opening statement. And Chris, oh, I walk in, Chris is a Republican. Chris, how about if I, there's a huge J? And I'm like, Chris belongs to Jesus. And with his love for Jesus... That spills into the political party he might be affiliated with. And he's actually letting that political party know there's a, there's a greater kingdom. Mm-hmm. And our party doesn't have it all straight. 
our party is missing some things of the kingdom. It looks like Matthew 5 to 7. Does that make sense? Yeah, I liked how you said that. And then I'm going to bring back something you said at the, the beginning of how uh, sometimes we allow the culture to seep into us or we make ju- decisions based off of the culture and not so much of God's word. But if we turned it and tipped it around to where God's word is where we make our decisions from. And so then that influences the culture and not where it's vice versa. I actually, it's the Sermon on the Mount. That's that's actually what's hit me the hardest going through it as we've been doing it on the podcast is the identity issue. And growing up, uh, my parents, we, we went to church since I was little. I always knew myself as a Christian to the point where I was in the third grade and my friends are asking you, what are you? And I'm, I'm a Christian. Yeah. They're like, no, no, that's your religion. I was like, I have no idea at that point that I'm Hispanic. Not that the, my parents didn't have yeah. that culture inside of us, but it wasn't the driving force. I love that. It wasn't our identity. And uh, it's something that's kind of been, God's been hitting me with is that. And I've, I've shared it with people and I'm sharing it here again, but it's that's so important that that need to want more gets taken away when my identity is in Christ because no longer do I need the things of the world, but I need the things of the kingdom. Yeah. So what I have is, as I'm meeting with you right now, Chris, I hear about your wife, and she sounds wonderful. And you two are raising these kids. So I don't know if you live in a 13-room house or a 4-room house. I don't know. I don't know if your car is brand new or it's 12 years old. What I do know is I'm looking at you, and I'm looking at, I'm 60, you're 38. Lord, thank you for this young man of the Lord. Thank you for this disciple of Jesus. Thank you for this person that's grappling with Matthew 5 to 7. He's trying to live it out. I notice you have clothes on, you have glasses you can wear, your hair is combed nice. I'm just saying, you got everything. You you have all the things you need. Right. And, and the Lord, I think, is making you look like Christ, and that's the goal, and that's the gift you give to your children. And one day there's going to be a memorial service for you, hopefully when you're 90 years old. And then the question is, what's the second, third, and fifth row of the church look like when they have that service? And I believe that if you follow Jesus and you love your wife, and you love your kids, and then your grandkids, and then maybe even your great-grandkids in the Lord. And if they're in the first four or five rows and they are following Jesus, you are a stinking rich man. Yes. You are so stinking rich. And I remember hearing this story once where Mother Teresa looked at these people in India, and it was like 70 people, like this large extended family, and they had become Christians. They weren't rich. But you know how there was like the great grandpa and grandma and, and there's this large family of like 70 people. And as you look at the 70 family, then they go to an American picture and there's this picture of this huge yacht people and then the yacht and then their giant house. And it's just two of them. And Mother Teresa said, the people from India are so rich and these people from America are so poor because hmm. there's the Americans with their yacht, with their house. It's the two of them by themselves. And she called that poverty. Maybe she's right. That's a great way to put it, too, that 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 is poverty in in the real perspective of what's important. One thing when you're talking, it's been kind of a goal for mine. I heard a pastor down in San Diego, he was getting hired at the church and they asked him, well, what's your goal here at the church? Why should we hire you? Or what's what's the goal in like when you get older or being here? And he said, well, my goal here is three things. One, that when my kids turn 18, they love God. Uh, When they turn 18, they love the church. And when they turn 18, they love me. Wow. And that's where I know I'll, I'm successful. Wow. And and when I heard that, that was just such a, uh, a good turning point for me, you know, now being outside of working ministry, but just serving in ministries, uh, that, that that was something I wanted because that's how I want to equate my success. And it's something my dad's taught us is that you don't equate it success through what you have. But I think you mentioned it, the, it's the legacy. Yeah. And the legacy isn't, you know, that whole idea of the front, four front roles. The legacy isn't the stuff. It's 
the grandchildren serving God, the great-grandchildren serving God, and all loving God. It's really interesting what you're sharing, too. I, I love what that pastor said, those three things. What a great legacy he'd have in that and that you want to have. Paul turned and he said, I'm in the pains, I'm in childbirth pains until Christ be formed in you. Paul's goal for Chris and for Ken and everyone listening, his goal was that we would look like Christ. And and when we do have you know, your memorial service, hopefully 52 years from now, right? And they have the memorial service, no one's going to, man, our dad had 17 huge boats. And you should have seen some of the shoes and belts my dad had, grandpa had. They're going to talk about how did you treat them and what did you show them? It also makes me think of like when, you know, most people when they say like at the deathbed, what do they wish they had? And it's more time. No yeah. one ever really talks about more stuff. It's it's majority of, I wish I had more time to spend. And I think priorities do start changing because once, you know, when you're in your early 18 to 20s, yeah, death doesn't mean a thing to you. But as you get older, it, it becomes a little more real. Yeah. And knowing that, that there's an expiration date does help me understand that I've got to value my time here with the people I am here. And what am I doing with my time here? Is it something for God's kingdom? Or am I building little Chris kingdoms everywhere? Yeah. And Chris kingdoms and Ken kingdoms uh, are actually going to be wiped out. And what will remain is every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what are we about there? What I'm grateful for that you're doing, Chris, again, you know, you're, you're 38, so you're not a young, young man, right? I'm 60, so when you're 60 and you talk to a 38-year-old, you're praising God for a young man. So what I praise God for a young man is you're, you're talking about materialism. You're talking about finances. And what I would close in my mind that's to share is Jesus is to be Lord of everything in our life. And what does that mean? Uh, of my, my thought life, of the marriage, of my finances, of my time, of the church, of my work, of my parenting, of my hobbies. He's Lord of all. One component is materialism. One component is money. But it's one more thing that he's in charge of. And I say, Lord Jesus, how are we to spend, how are we to invest your money today? And uh, so today you might get an ice cream cone with your kids. That'd be awesome. And tomorrow you might uh, actually go and get a bite to eat as a family. That, if you have, tremendous. But along the way, we're investing and we're, and we're always being led by Jesus in what we're doing because it's his money, it's his time, and we're on borrowed time and we're glad we are. Yeah, I'll end the show with that. That was good. I had one more question, but I think we answered it through what we were talking about, about like just the freedom that God offers. And I think you nailed it right there with that end. Well, if I could say one thing back to you, I'm proud of you and your wife and your kids. And I meet Christ in you. Thanks for honoring me and letting me be a part of what you're doing. And the Lord be with you, Chris. Oh, thank you. I actually, so when we were doing the Paramount, I think it was Paramount Initiative. Yeah. Uh, you said that if we could do three things together, the the city would be better it was if we could preach together pray together and paint together huh. and now we've done four things we podcasted <laughs> together that's so, great so now we've gotten to do that and i'm 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 really i am honored that you got you took the time out of your busy schedule i know how busy of a man you are and that you came to do the show with us so uh thank you i'm gonna wrap it up here great uh so and also check out Emmanuel services on YouTube if you guys have the time. I think it's erc.la. Yeah, erc.la. Yeah. Uh, check it out. Great stuff in there. The, I love, I've looked at some of the content, the talking talks, and I've, I've enjoyed watching some of those. Uh, so if, if anyone's listening, listen, go check and, those out. And I'd out. like to say that I hear great things about Calvary Church. So if, you get a, if you're not a part of Calvary Church, I'd like to invite you to Calvary Church. Uh, this is a church that actually loves its community. So you're warmly invited to Calvary Church in Bellflower. Awesome. So I'm Chris, and for Ken Corver, 
We're your church friends. Thanks for listening. Cool. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Did we do it right? I hope so. Hey, Casey, what are you doing? Hi, Remy. I'm just looking for a new podcast to listen to. All the ones I listen to now are pretty boring. There's this new podcast out called Your Church Friends. It's pretty interesting and sometimes funny. I think I heard about that podcast from someone else who said it was good. I think I'm going to check it out. You should, and if you like the podcast, you can also get their website, yourchurchfriends.rocks. It has all their old episodes on there, plus a link to their shop where you can buy their cool t-shirts for a reasonable price. Wait, are these the same guys who do the 5 Minutes with Your Church Friends videos on YouTube? Yes. Oh good, I'm a subscriber to the channel and already really enjoy those videos. I always make sure to like them, leave a comment, and share them with my friends. Me too. Are you also part of their social media accounts, like the Facebook group page? No, but I see the website has a link to that as well. Do you know why it's yourchurchfriends.rocks? Yeah, it's because they rocks.